Hey folks, welcome to the Battles of the First World War podcast. In this standalone episode, we're going to talk to Nicole Ciccarelli of Instagram's The War Project. Nicole is a new and fresh voice out there on the World War I history scene. So give her a follow on the gram and get to know that voice. You'll be hearing more of it soon. I won't give Nicole's biography here because I would rather you hear it directly from her. Um, I hope you enjoy the conversation. It really was a good deal of fun. All right. So, hey, folks, welcome to the Battles of the First World War podcast. Uh, our guest today is Nicole Ciccarelli, who is the force behind Instagram's The War Project. Nicole is an up-and-coming voice in the World War I history community, so I will let her tell us more about herself. Nicole, welcome. Thank you so much, Mike. Um, it's so funny. I've been the biggest fan of your show forever, and I would listen to your podcast, you know, like while I'm doing the dishes and like sweeping my apartment and stuff, and now here I am talking to you. So, um I'm just super excited. Thank you so much for um, having me on to speak for a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Well, well, well th um, thank you for, for um, coming on. And I feel that, that we have to address um, a, a bit of an incident. So would, would you please tell um, these, these wonderful listeners um, how rude I was to you and how thoughtless uh, in, in the beginning? Oh, no, Mike. So I, I found out <laughs> the story behind that and you don't have to feel, you don't have to feel too bad. So okay. I was the biggest fangirl forever of Battles of the First World War podcast. And, you know, I said, gosh, I'm so interested and I have such a passion for what Mike is speaking about every time he puts out an episode. I want to see, like, is there any way that I can help? Is there any way that I can support and, you know, just be there with him in that process? And um, <laughs> when we first met, I had told you that I sent you an email. And you're like, oh, nice. That's awesome. Like, did I respond? I was like, no. <laughs> sorry. And I'm so sorry. No, it's okay. And so um it, it was the funniest thing because then for like the next two weeks, you're like, Nicole, I'm just I'm I feel so bad that I didn't respond to your email. I'm like, Mike, it's okay. You have a ton of what? stuff on your plate. But it turned out um it was an Instagram message that I sent you, not an email. And you definitely didn't respond still, but <laughs> Instagram is much sorry. harder to get back to than email, I think. So you're okay. Yes. Well, again, I, I apologize. And again, for any other listeners out there to whom I, I really strive to like answer every sort of communication. If I haven't, um, you have Nicole here as living proof that <laughs> I am a shit and I did not. Um, you're busy studying for done, Mike. You got bigger fish to fry. <laughs> <laughs> I was also going for my master's, uh, but you know, like no big that, deal, that, you know, exactly. <laughs> but um, all right. So, you know, I I know that in our conversation before we got on here, I said that you know this is going to be super cool, and it's going to going to be very laid back. Like, well, okay, I'm here to tell you, like, I am going to hit you with some hard hitting questions here on this interview. Okay, let's like, do it. We don't mess around on the BFWWP, okay? Start so, artillery barrage, let's go. Right, first question, <laughs> right? So, World War One, bad war or really bad war? Oh my goodness! Um, These are the rough questions. Yeah, you know, uh, I think 
the more oh, we got it. It was, it was terrible. We 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 all know. And yeah, I mean, I, I, uh, you know it, what it, I <laughs> what I really wanted to say is um, that was just a poor attempt at humor. So what I really want to say is you say you yourself, Nicole. You say you were put on Earth to study history, right? And and when I saw that, it's like yes, like what a way to kick this thing off. Okay, so please, please, please rather than the silly question, like, tell us more about that, like more about you um, and how, you know, like, like how you were, how you were put on earth to study history. Like, Hey, I'm, I'm, I'm down with that, man. <laughs> uh, thanks. I, I, I think out of all people, you know, you might be able to identify with that a little bit, Mike. Um, mm -hmm. It's just been this thing since uh, as far back as my memory goes um, before I could read. I seem to have always been drawn to things that look a little bit out of place, things that are left over from a time that came before us. And, uh, you know, I remember my mom, thank you, mommy. Uh, my mom bought me, I think when I was born, she bought me a child encyclopedia set. And, you know, it covered everything. It covered the oceans and the stars and animals and stuff. And I remember this little child encyclopedia set would sit on a bookshelf in my bedroom. And, mm -hmm. you know, from the time I could walk, I would go over to the bookshelf and I'd pull out the one volume on history. And, you know, as a kid, I loved anything that looked cool, you know, stuff about the ancient Romans or ancient Egypt or even, yeah. you know, 19th century London, like Sherlock Holmes type of stuff. Um, my heart has always just laid in the past. So um, that is definitely a childhood hobby that I uh, a little phase that I never grew out of. That's so, um, yeah, here I, here I am today and, um, I, I have a bachelor of arts in history and, um, I'm working on a coursework for my master's in military history. So, so old habits die hard, you know? Yeah. Yeah. But, but look at that, like all of that from, you know, from your, your mom, like giving you a, a whole world in those books, you know, like right, just, right. um, it's, it's re really, really cool. My, my parents were always horrified that I was into like the history of warfare and stuff. And, um, but Hey, I mean, I, I, I am where I am because like, while they were like personally horrified, like, Oh my God, like, why doesn't this kid like study something more pleasant? You know? <laughs> um, I mean, it's, it's led me like everywhere that I've, that I've gone, you know, like the, the service and then to, you know, um, getting my own bachelor of arts in history and, and, uh, I didn't know that. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Got it. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Yeah. And, um, you know, and then leading me down the path of like becoming an educator and, mm -hmm. and, and, uh, and doing that work. So, yay. Mm -hmm. You know, like they always gave me that freedom, you know, at least yeah. to, uh, to, to do that, you know, and, and they, you know, they, they knew I was always going to go off and join the service. So right. you know, we're, thank we're you for your service, Mike. Thank you so much. <laughs> oh, you're, you're, you're very welcome. <laughs> um, so, um, the, um, any areas of history um, when you were a child or teenager, anything that, that you particularly gravitated towards? Yeah, yeah, uh, absolutely. So, you know, um, like I mentioned, I started off and, and I think all children, it's fairly common, you know, to in uh, child history textbooks and like elementary school and stuff, you see 
ancient Egypt and you see structures from ancient Greece and you think, man, that looks so cool. And uh, for me as a child, I think it was ancient Egypt. That was that was really cool for me. But um, around 11 and 12 years old, I really started to get into the Second World War. And that really, um, that was my, that was my rabbit hole, my ticket into um, the study of military history. I Mm -hmm. was fascinated by um, the Pacific theater and uh, amphibious warfare and um, the use of um, aerial warfare and aerial combat um, in the Second World War. That was like my thing all of high school. And it's, it's so nerdy. You know, anybody who... (laughs) Yeah. Anyone who I knew, um, you know, from high school or as a child, they're going to be rolling their eyes right now saying, oh, my goodness, here she goes again. But the interesting thing about that is as you study the Second World War, you Mm -hmm. continually come across references to the First World War. Right. And so, for example, you know, you'll come across something in the literature that says, "Okay, well, um, the concentrated artillery fire at Peleliu was, you know, almost as bad as Verdun or almost as bad as the Somme or something like that. And as a as a child, as like a, a middle schooler and a teen you know, if you're studying something that you like, and I, you know, particularly was interested in the Pacific theater, if -hmm. you continually hear references to something that has come before what you're interested in, like Verdun or the Marne um, or the battles at Ypres, and you say, dang, well, then what was the song? What is this looming thing, this horrible event that happened before the Second World War? And so as I learned more and more as a teen about the Second World War, I just, you know, you can't study one war without the other. And that's what sort of led me to study to study the First World War. Awesome. Awesome. Um, Any particular reason for the the Pacific theater of of World War Two? I, you know, I. I've asked myself that many times, and um, something I think about uh, the imagery of it always okay, stood yeah. out to me, you know, because you see these um, photos of gorgeous tropical paradises, and yeah, that, yep. is that the correct plural word of par- paradises? And, I um, think so. You I'll, know, I'll allow you- it as, as an educator. So. <laughs> You see things like, uh, you know, how beautiful the sand was at Tarawa, Um, you know, when you see the jungles of Guadalcanal and um, these are beautiful backdrops for horrible, horrible fighting. And to me, that just it just stood out to me. I said, how could such carnage happen in such a beautiful place and that that comes from a very simplistic um almost you know childlike point of view but but it's true it it stood out to me and that's what caused me um to to really hit hit the books hard when i was younger awesome yeah yeah hey like that's 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 just amazing um you you also got um I, th- I think we've talked about this before as the uh, uh, World War II as the, the gateway drug into history. It is a gateway drug. Don't do it because yeah. you, you'll, you'll never <laughs> yeah. crawl out of that hole, I promise. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I, you know, my, myself, like, oh, goodness. I think when I was a kid, there was these like kind of like World War II books for kids who explain things. And um, 
I got all into that. So like World War II and then um, oh, I think like middle school, I was big into the Civil War. Mm-hmm. And I would I would go hang out with a buddy of mine, but I would talk to his dad instead. For like <laughs> dad, hours. that's me. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. I'm like talking to yeah. friends, parents. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. I feel you. Yeah. Yeah. And, and then I eventually, you know, I like just like like uh, like you, like I started um, finding out more and more about World War One. I and was like, oh, what is what is this? And, uh, you know, yeah. And um, um, uh, a music video from Metallica, like Seal the Deal, the um, what's the name of the song? Uh, I believe it's one. And uh, they had the footage from Johnny Got His Gun, which was a, a, a movie that takes place during World War One. So mm-hmm. I was like like wow i'm i'm in and you know from there you know like i've, I've just been into world war one for 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 a while um so with with you nicole um why the great war like and in the great war like any like just like you have like a particular focus on the pacific theater of world war Two, like um why the great war and is there any area in the great war that is of a particular interest to you yeah yeah absolutely so um, at the, uh, at the graduate level, my research focuses on war theory. And so okay. war theory can be loosely defined as, um, the evolution of military thought that influences the development of strategy and tactics that are implemented on, um, on the battlefield. Wow. And okay. so, um, for me, Mike, there's something just, um, otherworldly kind of about the great war there's there's something Mm -hmm. um that's surreal about it when you start to study it because you know you have the the beauty and the the delicacy of the edwardian era and Mm -hmm. you know the romantic um lifestyle and ideologies of the belle époque um in europe and uh before prior to the first world war and you know you have that that way of thinking um, just get absolutely incinerated on mm-hmm. on you know the battlefields of of the Western Front. It just evaporates amidst the machine gun fire and the artillery fire. And you know you look at the way the whole world just changed because of it. And so studying um, military history in school, you you come across. Um, it's part of the curriculum. You have to study lots of wars. Mm-hmm. And um, so, of course, each one is unique. Each one is worth studying. Um, the stories of everybody involved in every war are absolutely always worth telling. But you just come across carnage in the Great War that is unparalleled, yeah. at least in my very humble experience, that is just unparalleled. We don't see it elsewhere and you know the i'm just moved by the utter level of sheer destruction and human suffering and and, you know probably most importantly the futility of some of this human suffering in in a lot of operations in the great war you know it's you look back and you're reading these books and you learn about these operations and campaigns and engagements and you say oh you did we didn't need to lose those 12,000 guys right you you could you didn't have to do that it didn't need to be that way yeah um, yeah one of the things that was really poignant for me which really was um a moving experience that stands out in my mind is uh my first class in my master's program Mm -hmm. 
was um, we had to, uh, our biggest assignment was to write a mock thesis. And hang on, I'm taking a drink of water. Sure, sure. And so um, our biggest project was to write a mock thesis on any uh, topic of our choosing. So um, knowing me, of course, I chose um, the Battle of Third Eep, which is also more commonly known as Passchendaele. And yep. uh, I set out on my research for this project. And um, uh, in particular, I wanted to study the Canadian experience at Passchendaele. So ah, I set out to gather cool. some um, primary and secondary sources. And just by the way, the Canadian National Archives, or I don't, I don't know if it's called the Canadian National Archives or the Canadian War Archives, but their online database of their um, their like scans and their archives of primary sources from the first world war is fantastic. Like, Oh, Canada, okay. you guys are crushing it. Um, so this experience that, that I had was, um, one night I was staying up late and I was gathering all my primary sources and I was going through their database and I came across a lot of letters and diary entries and uh, journal entries and, you know, things that were produced by soldiers who were at the Battle of Passchendaele. Mm -hmm. And as I sat there and I scrolled through these, you know, if you think about it, when, when you read a letter that someone writes to their mom, you get to know them. You know, you, right, you read right. something that someone writes to their brother or to their friend back home or whatever, you know, you get you get to know these people a little bit. And the thing that stood out to me, gosh, after nearly every single one of these letters, the archivist um, at the Canadian National Archives made a note and said, um, the author of this source was killed at Passchendaele, was killed oh, in action man. at Passchendaele, um, yeah. died at Passchendaele, missing at Passchendaele, died at Passchendaele, died at Passchendaele. And I just, it was like 2 a.m. and I'm sitting there with a cup of coffee and I've got, you know, my computer and all my notes spread around me. And I just, I remember stopping and just looking up and staring at the wall and saying, God, what happened? How horrific was this? Who, who did serve? Did anybody survive? You know, what were those people like who did survive something like this? And that's just one yeah. battle in one year of this epic event and uh it was that was one of the moments for me where i really said you know what we we got to tell the story of these people we have to keep their voices from slipping into obscurity with the passage of time and so you know as i as i study the great war i have moments like that you know where this was just such a huge event um within the timeline of human history that we just it's up to somebody you know, we, we got to tell the story for them. And yeah. um, so in particular, because my uh, research focuses on war theory, um, the, the, there was a lot of evolution of military thought, at least um, based on my very humble interpretation of the sources thus far. Um, you know, the, the strategy and the tact, the strategies and tactics that were implemented in the Great War were just, ah. Uh, they they fascinate me. Um, you know, you've got things like the maybe you know only it's um because I'm speaking from a modern um twenty first century perspective, but you know you've got things like um the development of 
the British Creeping Barrage. You know, right. where essentially you're using a wall of timed artillery fire and it creeps slowly along um, no man's land or a battlefield in front of your infantry. And, you know, you better hope that you don't go too fast and, you know, leave your infantry without cover, but you can't go yeah. too slow because you can't hit your guys. And, yeah, you know, yeah. And you you think about something like that. You're like, how? And this was this was far before we have any of the range finding technology or any of the things that we have today. And um, you know, you've got other um military concepts and thoughts such as um the cult of the offensive, which yep. yeah. you know, we see that was um the belief among many World War One generals that, you know, today in modernity, we look back and we just cringe and we say, no, how, you yeah. know, it was the obsessive belief. They were utterly convinced that, okay, if we send our infantry up and over the top hard enough, just one more time, we yeah. might achieve that decisive break, that breakthrough, you know, and then it, it just went on ceaselessly. Um, you know, there were certain um, instances, of course, um, like within the French army in 1917 after the Nivelle Offensive where, you know, they said enough is enough. We'll, yeah, we'll fight yep. for our country. But, I mean, we're just being fed to the slaughterhouse here. We can't just keep going up and over the top for for minimal or no gains. And so yeah. um, one final concept that, that I'm um, particularly interested, is, um, interested in is um, – the concept of defense in depth, you know, mm -hmm. when, um, uh, for example, when uh, the German army strategically withdrew from their front lines in 1917 to the Hindenburg line, where, yep. you know, all this time and energy and resources was um, expended upon building this incredible, not only a defensive line, not only to defend their own troops and, and fortify their own troops positions, but also to, um, for lack of a better word, herd their advancing enemy infantry into and guide them into, you know, um, targeted zones of interlocking machine gun fire. I mean, how, to, to wrap our modern mind around something like that, it just... It, it 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 enraptures me it seriously does i mean you know to it, in my mind i sort of just go back and forth and i say how did humanity get to this point where we're hurting each other into zones of interlocking fire and we're just going to mow each other down the, um yeah. those are from from the theoretical perspective that's what um i'm hoping to study more in depth with my research oh, cool yeah yeah, it, it's um, you know, it's it's amazing. Um, a couple of things that that stick out to me with with the Great War are um, one one thing that's that I'm seeing more and more and more is um how I never I, you know, all of this is still like a learning process for me too. But like 1914, like you said, it's it's like the the Edwardian era, you know, like um, perfectly personified in the French infantrymen, you know, like dark blue coat, mm -hmm. red trousers, 
you know, um, you know, using, you know, 19th century tactics and cavalry, yes. uh, you know, still using breastplates and, you know, very visible on the battlefield. And mm-hmm. of course, you know, the, the Germans were, were well ahead right. of them as, as far as like blending in with the background. Um, but, you, but you have that in 1914. And by, by 1918, like um, the German spring offensive and then like the allied counteroffensives, like, you know, you've got infantry attacks timing, timing themselves with the artillery much better than, than in right. 1916. And then you've got, you know, you've got aircraft playing, um, you know, their um, artillery support roles, you know, um, you know, observation, but then you've also got them starting to do like, you know, ground attack roles. And I just remember like, and I, and I know this is like, not, I'm certainly not the first one to think this, but for me, I was like, whoa, it was like, um, like, oh my goodness, like this is modern warfare. Like by 1918, this is what you think of, you know, when you see, Oh goodness! Like I, you know, grew up uh, during the Desert Storm era, mm-hmm. and I was like, like this is what modern warfare is. So, right. like, this is where it was born, you know. Yeah. And um, so it's just amazing, like, to see how quickly, um, just how how quickly that that changed, and how um, uh, there's a there's a hill uh, that I've been out to a couple of times um, out near Verdun. It's called the Butte de Valcois. Mm-hmm. And it was a village on top. The village got obliterated. The the hill has like was the heart of it has been blown out by by over five hundred mine explosions. Like the French and Germans can neither they can never quite take it. Mm-hmm. So they each each side had half, and they tried to blow each other off to Kingdom Come. Mm-hmm. And um, um, but it's just funny. Like in nineteen fourteen, that was an important position to hold. So that's why they fought each other like mm-hmm. so doggedly for so many years. But by 1918, with a- with um, aircraft, Vauquois was was obsolete. Like it it didn't matter holding hills yeah. anymore. What just mattered like is how many planes. Yeah, you know, like so, just four short years. Yet, you know, a whole world had shifted. So that's super cool. This is this is such so commendable. And and the um, the war theory, like yeah, like this is. Such a such a great feel. Like, this is so cool. Could you tell us a little a little more about your your schoolwork and and your background? Yeah, yeah, sure. Um, so uh, I did my um, undergraduate work. Um, I majored in history at the University of California at San Diego, mm-hmm. and um, uh, undergraduate history work is um, it's fun. Uh, you know, at the undergraduate level, I I think that the faculty and the departments simply want you to be well-rounded you know they uh, they expose you to history um asian history african history um central and south american history american european history and so um they sort of want their majors to um graduate as kind of like a renaissance man um uh kind of uh what is it a jack of all trades master of none type of thing um at the undergraduate level they don't really um allow you um the opportunity to go too deep into anything that's kind of reserved for for the graduate level um mm-hmm. i would love uh, more than anything to begin um some work on a doctoral degree in the um wow. in the few upcoming years but for now i'm a few classes into my master's program and i'm attending i'm completing my coursework at american military mm-hmm. university and wow. um they're great their faculty is great 
um, the one thing that I have really enjoyed, and it was a shock, I was not expecting this, um, studying history at the technical and the graduate level is, um, you know, coming into it, one would think, okay, we're going to take a bunch of history classes now, and, you know, it's going to be just much more detailed history, and we're going to learn all the facts and specifics. Well, um, to my surprise, um, the first handful of courses at the graduate level are not history classes at all. Rather, huh. they are um, about something called historiography. Oh, yes. Uh-huh. And historiography, um, oh my goodness, I hope my professors aren't hiding their head in shame. Um, um, in my mind, the oh, definition no. of historiography is the study of history. And the study of how um, history has been written over time, how it has evolved throughout the written record. And um, that's very, very interesting to study. You know, when um, you look at day one all the way up to today, it certainly goes through um, wild undulations of (laughs) all kinds of history can be written. But what I've been able to take away, the most important thing for me is that historiography, or at least the courses I've taken, show you what it means to be a historian and to write history. What constitutes good history? What historians owe their societies? You know, Mm -hmm. have you ever, Mike, have you ever uh, been, you know, just like reading a magazine or watching the news, you know, and you'll see something that says, um, Someone will say, historians are saying this is the worst such and such since this time. Or historians are, according to historians, this is the greatest such and such, like X, whatever it is. <laughs> when when you see something like that, you take their word at face value. I, I guess right, I never right. really realized until I got to the graduate level, society puts blind faith in historians. If you're telling me that this is the greatest rainstorm since, you know, whenever, well, historians are saying it, it must be true. And studying historiography really shows you, man, that's, that's a hefty responsibility. There is a big role that you have to step into. You know, what do you owe your generation when you write history and people put this blind faith into you? You need to put together something not only um, accurate and um, meaningful, but also contextual. And, um, you know, it's it's up to the historian to, you know, um, things like remove bias and expose yourself to as many sources as you can and things right. like that. And um, right. studying history at the graduate level, ha- I mean, that is a role that I do not take lightly. And I want to learn more about it. I want to be the best historian that I can be. And I, I think we all do. Awesome. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, um, it, it is like you, you, you know, at, at the very least, like you want to come off, uh, as, as accurate as possible. Uh, right. you want to be as accurate as possible. Um, and then, you know, I mean, we, we all make errors and, and, um, but, like that accuracy. So you need the research. It, it, you know, so things take a while, um, but it, um, it pays off. It pays off. And right. yeah, there, there is that, um, there is that, that, that burden or, or that, that charge on, on you of, right. Hey, 
you need to like you need to study all you know approach this from all the angles you know like try to try to as much as you can to eliminate those biases which is never perfect but um you you know you do what you can so that you present a well-rounded picture so that you know um so that people can i think that adds credibility as well so awesome that's excellent yeah so cool um all right so this one and i hope i've worded this correctly so okay so i've learned so in in my own experience is that you know to say that like you don't see race or you don't see gender in a field or a classroom that that can actually be construed as like minimizing people so um so to to try to get away from that or to correct that like to to that point like how has gender affected your studies in this typically like honestly like like white male dominated field like like um how like how how has that affected you like um you you know like you you being the girl in the in the in the history classroom you know like especially military history like i i this is so awesome like it's it's so cool and and i'm it's so awesome like that that it's it, you know so a, such a, a wider more diverse group of people are getting involved so they, they are coming at it with, with different viewpoints and it's right. excellent so how does how is this um how's this affected your studies yeah uh you know it's made it very fun the whole awesome. all all of it has been fun for me to be honest um you know <laughs> you're right um as you get higher um in the within academia and goodness gracious i am by no means in like the high realm the deities of academia that <laughs> that is not me um i'm just a goofy little brand new to the masters program um little kid but um the higher you go and the more niche you go into military history, the less females mm -hmm. there are. And um, it certainly, I was exposed to that at the undergraduate level. Um, I have been the only girl in many classes, um, especially wow. classes like the Civil War, um, World War II, um, things like that. I've, I've been the only female. And um, it's been fun because uh, it's fun to me to break the stereotype. Yeah. Break the stereotype awesome. that um you know you're you're a girl so you must not be interested in this and it's like hey i can name the pratt and whitney r2800 supercharged double wasp engine in my favorite f6f hellcat model of you know 1944 whatever and i probably just hung myself on the cross there are probably people who are gonna say well actually it was this one but but the point of what i'm trying yeah. to say is that it's been wonderful because it has exposed me to others who are just like me, um, whether they're whether they're male or not. Um, all of my, um, I'm not, I, won't, I don't want to say all. I would say maybe ninety eight percent of my professors, um, as you get more into the military history side, have been male. They've been fantastic. Um, my my classmates have been fantastic, but um, the most valuable thing that I've been able to take away from it um, because there have been a few instances where I've kind of been um, counted out before before I got a chance to start but you know oh. what 
I look at it in a positive light because if anything, it has shown me, and I hope that it shows others too, that your most lethal weapon and your best quality that you have is your brain. Yep. And it doesn't matter what you look like. It doesn't matter how old you are. It doesn't matter where you're from. You can do what you want to do if you want to do it. And your brain is the tool. It is the avenue. It, it is the mechanism that you employ to get that done. And um, I love studying military history. The the um, social media type of like the Instagram platform is very heavily male dominated. But you know what? And we're all here doing what we love. We all mm-hmm. love it. And I love it too. And, um, you know, me being a girl, um, it, it hasn't been a huge impact. Um, there have been a, a, like a few little instances where it, it was kind of like a, like a elementary schoolyard, you know, where you're struggling to fit in. But mm-hmm. other than mm-hmm. that, you know, I love it. And I'm blessed that I um, have the opportunity to, to study what I love. So it's great. Awesome. Awesome. That's, that's so good to hear. So you are um, the person behind the war project on Instagram. So what is the war project for our listeners who may not yet be aware that that you're out there on, on Instagram doing, doing this thing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So uh, the war project, um, the mission of the war project is to bridge the gap between the public's interest in the First World War and the study of the First World War at the academic and the technical level. And so um, what I mean by that is that, you know, the awesome thing, Mike, as you know, you you and I are living testament to, is people out there care about this war. People are interested in this war. Man, look how, look at what a hit the movie 1917 was not too long ago. Yes. Remember that? Yeah. I mean, people want to learn more about this. They're interested in it. And, um, but sometimes, you know, um, either you're a different major or you've got a career going or, you know, you have, you don't have, um, the, the time or the ability to go take a college class on it, right? On the first world Mm -hmm. war. Well, you know, my, what I want to do with the war project is take the, the skills and the methods and the, um, look at me using the word strategy like we're at the psalm right now um but really the strategies for studying history that i've learned in school and Mm -hmm. um, use it to synthesize information on my end and condense it into little bite-sized pieces of content for the public to consume that will help them understand world war one in a way that is better and more fulfilling than simply listing names and dates and casualty counts and saying you know this is the hundred and whatever you know anniversary of of this battle you know there's a way that you are taught to study history once you once you go to school for it that um you know you learn to Put things into a bigger context and, um, you know, say, okay, well, yes, they fired, what, 12 million shells in 12 days at first 12 days at Verdun or something like that. Uh, well, yeah, they did that. But what does it mean? 
What does it mean right, for the right. sides that were involved? How did the war pivot on its timeline? Would it? How how does learning about this battle better my understanding of the Great World War or Great World War of the Great War in its entirety? And so um, the that's what I've tried to do with the War Project. It started out as just an Instagram account. Um, my mm-hmm. username is the War Project, but I've also awesome. now created a groovy little website um, called nice. uh, WarProjectHistorian.com, and awesome. um, that is a place for me to um, just kind of put together stuff uh, and share what I'm working on, share what I'm interested in, but also you know give you that information that is more than me just copying and pasting a caption on a photo that you got from the Imperial War Museum's website. You know, the, and I think that's what makes me different and the content that I really care about um, providing people who, who view my account is um, all of the literature is original. Um, it is certainly not peer-reviewed because nobody cares. To, <laughs> no one's that interested to peer review my goofy little captions but all of it is properly sourced not yet yet. (laughs) all of it is properly sourced and and if you read it um i place it within a context so that when you're done reading you know this little paragraph about the marn you'll probably hopefully be able to say ah okay now i get it so now that's why this is important and that's why i should remember this campaign or this battle so Awesome. Awesome. Warprojecthistorian.com. <laughs> awesome. And the the um, uh the war project the war, on the on war project Instagram. on Instagram. That's right. And I'll 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 um I'll link your your website and the the Instagram account uh Thanks. on um in the episode notes of course. Cool. Thanks. Um so what is your I mean besides the war project besides your ongoing studies um as you know if you have time for anything else yeah. um <laughs> What is your current work and and any upcoming projects? Yeah. Oh my gosh, Mike, you're just you're gonna lose it. I I say that with confidence because I have already lost it. Okay. So, um, there is a military history museum um not too far from my house. It's actually on an Air Force Reserve base, mm-hmm. and um, I visited that museum around my birthday of this year. And I just nerded out, man. They had all these planes. Uh, it's a, it's it's an Air Force military history museum. So so they it is kind of um all the exhibits are aircraft, which I totally love. I was not upset about that at all. But mm-hmm. to my surprise, as I meandered through the museum, I was like, hey, they got some cool actual like like military history exhibits that are not just focused on the aerial component of warfare and um so a few weeks after that visit i reached out to the museum director and i asked if there was any volunteer work that i could work on and uh he's fantastic and uh he's like you know what yeah why why don't you come down and and let's talk about it and so i was like you don't have to tell me twice i'm like in the car right now and um so I'd, I'd be there at like 6 a.m you know like. yeah right i was like getting my shoes on now and uh so i met with him and um he's fantastic he is the the main historian behind all of the exhibits and he said you know what nicole i actually think there is something you can help me with he said we have a library 
And I noticed it my first um, visit to the museum. They have a library all the way in the back, and it was a little um, disorganized. There were a lot of volumes. There were a lot, a lot of books in there, and a lot of them didn't even have shelves. They were kind of just stacked and overflowing. And no one, mm-hmm. none of the um, visitors really cared about the library. It was just me in there. And he said, um, we have this library that has been filled by donations primarily. But the thing about it is we're getting so many donations so fast and we don't have enough volunteers to categorize them and sort them. He's like, I could really use your help spearheading a project on turning this library of donations into a specific military history research library. Wow. Not only for, you know, the, the local public, but for, for any scholars to come and take advantage of our sources. And, Mike, you know, it was at that point that I just passed out and fell on the floor. Yeah. Are, you gotta <laughs> yeah. be kidding me. Yeah. I, was, oh I was like, you messed up. Don't let me in there alone. I'll, like, you know, run away with two tons of, of these books. But um, so, so that's what I'm going to do. Under um, the museum director's instruction, I am going to turn this library into something that the public and that local scholars can really benefit from in studying military history. Wow. Wow. That's, I mean, first of all, um, what, what an amazing opportunity. Um, con- congratulations. Um, um, but also like what a task you have ahead yeah, of you. Yeah. I, I can, I can imagine, you know, like the, the, the amount of, of material that's there for you to, to sift through and, and, um, to, to work through, categorize, get organized, and then like, get it, you know, start getting it out to the, to the public and everything. Like what a, um, also like what, what a commendable, uh, project, like, like, thank you for, for taking that on of, of, you know, like of, of make, getting that organized and, and, and you know, making it available to people, you know, like that's, that's wonderful. So great, great job. Awesome. Awesome. Um, yeah. So super cool. So I wish you, you know, um, Oh God, I wish you all the best with, with this new, new project. Um, also with, uh, the, um, the war project, um, and, and, you know, as well, your, your studies. Um, yeah. So this is, this has been, um, Oh my goodness! What a what a uh, wonderful talk! Um, thank you. So thank thank you for 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 coming on for taking the time out of a uh, this is a a a Friday night although this is pre recorded. Uh, so hey, Mike, for... let's be real. What else are both of us doing on a Friday night? Studying history. That's just the reality. Yeah. <laughs> I'm about to go bury myself in a uh, in another episode that I'm writing. So you know this this is like the you know. This is my idea of a good Friday night. That's now, my so. idea of a of a rip roaring Friday night. I'm I'm gonna yeah. go read about the Marne now. So <laughs> I know, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like with me, it's like, um, you know, what are you doing tonight? Like, oh, tonight, it's you know, it's ninety third division summary <laughs> operation tonight. That's what it is, you know. So. Right, right. <laughs> so, <laughs> oh, super cool. Well, Nicole, thank you so much for coming on, and. Um, yeah, and I'm sure we will be speaking again soon. And guys, um, Nicole is a voice um, that uh, that you guys definitely um, will be hearing more of. All right. So get if you're not following her on Instagram, um, you need to uh, you need to do so right away. 
All right. All right. And also check out the website. Everything will be in the episode links. So, um, all right, Nicole. Well, thank you so much. Thank you so much, Mike. And you are crushing it on your show. And, you know, of course, <laughs> I'm not you. putting pressure on you, but I definitely want to hear some upcoming episodes. So, uh, yes, yeah, soon, soon. Yeah. But soon. thank you so much for hanging out with me and uh, oh, enjoy boy. your wild Friday night. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. All right. Okay. We'll see ya.